I'm Helen Jane Hearn, Senior Director of Content Strategy at the National Restaurant Association. Today I'm stepping in for Fast Casual Insider host Jerry White. Today's conversation was recorded with Nick Voinovich, President of the Little Greek, back in May at the 2019 National Restaurant Association Show. From McCormick Place in Chicago, I spoke with Nick about his fresh approach to real estate, his background in recruitment and training, and mistakes he really, really wants you to avoid. Enjoy your conversation from May. I'm sitting here with Nick Voinovich from The Little Greek. Great pronunciation, by the way, Helen. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about some real estate trends. We're going to talk about some workforce stuff, and we're going to learn about Nick's history in the fast casual industry. Great. Glad to be here today. Thank you. So, Nick, could you tell me a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, my folks, uh, my mom's family was originally in restaurants in Belgrade. And so uh, my dad uh, got a last-minute scholarship to go to Cornell University and major, uh, got his master's degree. And my mom didn't want any of her three boys to be restaurant business or marry Catholic girls. And all three are in restaurant business, all three married Catholic girls. So <laughs> that's kind of how we started. Well, I went to Cornell University for hotel restaurant management. I worked my way up through Chili's, Applebee's, Famous Dave's, ultimately to president of Beefo Brady's. And we took that franchise for, in, down in Tampa. It's kind of like a Buffalo Wild Wings for families. So we went from 30 locations up to 270. We sold it to a private equity firm. I went back to University of South Florida, got my master's degree. And while I was there, I realized, which I think is an important thing in life, is what are you good at? And for me, I was a good restaurant operator, but I really, my enjoyment and strength is more sales kind of. So I liked in the recruiting side of the business and then ultimately in franchising. And so I felt my strength was taking small franchises and growing them. Uh, Beefo Brady's, we went from doing 16 million in sales to 250 million, uh, which when it got really big, I didn't enjoy it as much. Uh, so with Little Greek, I bought this chain. There are four locations doing about $2 million in sales. And today we have 40 and we're probably tracking this year to do around 30 million. And we have, we've opened two so far. So we have four under construction. So I'm trying to grow. I made mistakes at Beast, trying to grow steady and just make sure that as we uh, open more franchise stores, that we have good, solid locations. What were some of those mistakes you made? Ah, yes. I, started, <laughs> I should have given you my list of 100, Helen, so you can pick and choose. Well, one of the things is, uh, and I'll warn folks out there, particularly if you're a smaller operator, going from one store to two stores is probably the most difficult thing you'll ever do because you can control that entire store. But when you go to number two, then you have to rely on who's going to run either store A or store B. And so one of the things at Beast, we were opening 50 stores a year. Now, these are all franchise stores. But even with a great corporate staff, you just, things were falling through the cracks. And so one lesson learned and is just to watch your growth. It's certainly in the early stage, every single store counts. You cannot afford to make a mistake because any mistake at that point can ruin, you know, you, you can go out of business and just ruins the whole thing. So if store number six doesn't work, that's not a deal killer. But if store number two doesn't work, that'll take you down. So one of the mistakes at Beast was growing too fast. And then uh, the other thing was when you grow real fast, you realize later there's mistakes that you make that, you know, sometimes years later you figure it out and, and you can't unwind that deal. For instance, we're going to talk today a little about real estate. You know, we looked at this one shopping center, great location, grocery store anchored shopping center, end cap on the end, which you like because it gets more visibility. And I go, wow, what a great location. Why well, I wasn't really paying attention, but in front of that location was a vacant spot. Well, a couple of years later, my great store, uh, Steak and Shake, goes in that spot. Now we're blocked from the street. Our parking gets cut in half. And so as you're approaching the real estate side, which we'll talk about more, you almost have to look. And even when you're doing your restaurants, 
Don't just look at what does it look like today? Think what is this site going to look like in two years, five years, 10 years? Because we have our original Little Greek is now 17 years old. We structure our lease so that it, we can keep that spot for 20 years. So we had a five-year lease with three five-year options so that if we like it, we can stay and we have control. When you do those five-year options, make sure you control the rents in all 20 years. And you don't want to end up with no lease option because what happens then, the landlord has control. They can come in and all of a sudden your lease is up for renewal and they're telling you, well, gee, we're going to double your rent. And what are you going to do? Do you walk away from a great location? You maybe try to negotiate, but if you can knock all that stuff out ahead of time, that gives you the power to move. So that was one of the mistakes with Beef O'Brady's is when you do business, sometimes you need to go look at it. What's this going to look like down the road? Because those are all things that will impact your business as well. So for instance, in Tampa, some places are doing these overpasses. So in other words, right now you got this great road going in front of your restaurant. Well, five years, and you might not know what's going to happen, but they're going to build these overpasses. So all the traffic's going to be, you know, 20 feet up, and then that ruins your location. So it's hard to kind of sometimes anticipate those things. But as you're doing your real estate deals, realize, you know, like they said, location, 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 try to look at that site and try to visualize it, what it's going to look like down the road. Yeah, it sounds like that founder vision also needs to apply to the real estate choices exactly. that you're you know, making. Right. Most people, founders, have wonderful ideas for concepts. And just like Larry talked about earlier, that one of the problems of being a founder is you're not going to be good at everything. But as you come up with a wonderful concept, you need to look at what type of customer is going to like that concept. But then to your point, Helen, where's this concept going to fit and what's going to be a good long-term fit? Uh, we have always found, for instance, that grocery store anchored centers were always our best for Beef O'Brady's and for Little Greek because you get so much traffic coming in. I remember with Beef O'Brady's, we did surveys. Why do you go to Beef O'Brady's? And we were like, oh, they, they love our wonderful wings and all that. And, you know, Little Greek, we love your euros. Well, the number one reason was convenience, that we were conveniently located. They're going to the grocery store shopping. Let's go get a bite to eat. And it was easy. The parking's easy and all that. So those are those things that kind of are humbling. So as you're a founder and you have a great concept and you're getting ready to open number two or three, these are some of the things we would like you to think about. That's really helpful. Wow. Yep. And I, we've made all the mistakes. So that's what, that's how he, uh, you know, and that would be my other thing is, is in business as you make mistakes, try to make some mistakes that won't take you out of business, but also learn from your mistakes. Cause uh, you know, like Larry said, sometimes you have people that just keep making the same mistake, the wrong type of hire, the wrong decisions. And, and those are things that can kind of you know, have cause you to lose your business as well. You'd mentioned some things about landlords. Are you noticing any changes or any trends with landlords and, and how that market's Great going? Great question. Yeah. Most of our stores are in Florida and Texas, and those are pretty hot markets. And we've seen the rents increase dramatically, and we've seen the construction costs. Our, our GCs, the general contractors, are jumping their prices as well. And so one of my challenges to our franchisees and to your listeners is, what is your, the right business model? These are long-term commitments uh, some landlords will ask for personal guarantees. So even if you close the restaurant up, they're going to come after you for that back rent. And it can be just a, you know, and you want to negotiate, please negotiate your personal guarantees. These are all things that you need to make sure when you're finding your spaces that you have professionals, we call them tenant rep brokers, and make sure you get great advice about the lease you're signing and the site you're doing. And you, there's an initial part called the letter of intent. Make sure that you're getting those big, important issues in there because once you sign that lease, that's a big financial burden. So please be very careful and watch what you're doing and realize those landlords, they negotiate everything. When you sign your deals, get the best deal possible for you. We even have these things that it's called tenant improvement money, 
where the landlord will give you money to fix the space. Normally, it's done after the, the site's built out, but even with Little Greek, sometimes we're getting build-out money after we open up. In the past, landlords would give you a space, what we call vanilla box. And a vanilla box would be that if you were a, uh, a bookstore, for instance, that you go into the space and you look at it, and there's already walls up, and there's already a floor in space, and there's maybe a bathroom, and there's lights and things like that, and that's called a vanilla box. Now, the landlords are giving you what's called a, a dark box. There's a dirt floor, there's no walls, there's no air conditioning, and so they're saying, we'll give you a little bit of money, but now you got to build it. And so when you're building it, that takes you a couple months just to get up to speed. And, and I was in a, a meeting the other day with a gentleman who works for a large um, real estate uh, brokerage firm. And I told him, I said, we're really concerned that the, the prices are just getting too out of control and we're having to back away from deals. And that's what I would caution you. If the numbers don't work, don't sign it. And he actually said, you know what? We had the same conversation with my brokers that these deals are getting out of control, but a lot of the landlords, they don't care. And if you go out of business, then they'll just put somebody else in there. So just be very careful. This is a very difficult time, a very tricky time. And so I think all operators should be very cautious. Now that said, there are parts of the country that I've met people, you know, some, sometimes like middle, the middle part of the United States where that's not an issue. But if you're in a hot market like Miami and San Francisco and Dallas, these are tough times because you have so many operators still out there looking for spaces. So there's a lot of competition and people get all excited and they think, well, my concept can handle it. Be careful. It's great advice. Yeah. Wow. And again, <laughs> we've learned the hard way, unfortunately. Yeah. So those are the situations where you just need to be very cautious as you approach your real estate. Be Just take your time and don't sign the first deal. Look very carefully and be very picky about what you do. Are you looking at any less traditional sites? I'd love to get into airports and uh, into um, the like university dining, but so far we've not been able to do that. But you know, the other thing we talked about a little bit earlier, Helen, too, is I do kind of like what they call second generation spaces. And so particularly for those listeners out there that say, okay, uh, Larry talked earlier about getting money. Well, to open up a vanilla box or if you call it a, a gray box you know, space, that can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if you can find a good quality shutdown restaurant, you, a lot of times you just come in. You don't even have to get an architect to do it. You don't have to get a general contract. You can do what we call remodel. And that's what I would suggest for those of you who are early stage. Uh, Larry didn't really, I don't think, touched on this too much. But I think that early stage growth, I, I would recommend try to find. And yeah, sometimes you have to wait. Like we've had one location and we've waited five years. And I know a lot of you don't want to wait that long. But if you can find a shutdown restaurant, we've had shutdown restaurants where they left them behind the hood. Fryers, a, you know, walk-in cooler, bathrooms. Now, a lot of people say, hey, why did they shut down? So obviously you want to try to find a, the newer shutdown restaurants, older shutdown restaurants, I'd say be careful because you go in there and the walls are, are growing, to, you know, they're, they're in bad shape. Some of the, the equipment's not up to code. So I would say if you can find a shutdown restaurant that's newer and that's kind of lined up the way you like, that would be the ideal situation for those of you who are trying to get new in the business, don't have a lot of money, get the landlord maybe to kick in. That's the way to kind of get in the business. And so I would say stores one through five, that's the way to go. Once you kind of get up to you know four, five, six stores and those stores are doing well, then you can build uh, newer, nicer ones out of cash flow. But but be very conservative on that front end as you're just getting your your, your uh, businesses started. You can be more aggressive later on and and when you, you when you have more confidence and you kind of got a better feel for your brand. Yeah, and it does take time too. I remember with Beef O'Brady's, we looked at the first site and it was not a very good location. And so we're thinking, oh, and we, we came out of Chili's and, you know, Chili's are usually going for AAA, uh, you know, sites and things like that. And so we kind of said, well, we don't have to have a good location. And then later on, we realized 
that particular location was a good location in the sense that it was in a new area where there wasn't a lot of competition. And so you could have a, a not so good site and it was well run. And so they attract a lot of customers. Down the road, you really need good locations, visibility, parking, you know, access to a good trade base. And then you got to match your concept with the right site. You know, Little Greek is an upscale concept. So we go for more highly educated, higher incomes. So we want to be in a, not necessarily a Walmart center. We'd rather be in a Target center or in an upscale grocer as opposed to a, you know, a food line or somebody who's not quite kind of goes after that crowd. So those are all important issues. As you're looking at your sites, don't necessarily look at your first site and say, Oh, that's exactly what I need. Just try to look at what are your customers and then what is maybe a similar concept? Where are they going and where are they successful? And then maybe try to match that up as well. Well, you just mentioned that you had been at Chili's. Yes. Where you were director of recruiting and training. Yes. Recruiting and training. Yes. So we're going to change topics a little bit. Wow, yep. What were the issues you were dealing with then and the solutions that you presented? And, and how has that changed today? It is a little tricky because, kind of, I'll tell you, I say right now, um, this is the most difficult uh, hiring environment probably in the last 20 years. And obviously you can look at it and, and unemployment is the lowest, I think in 50 years. And so it's a very, very thin market. In the Chili's, we had a little bit of a different ball game because at that point, the casual dining was growing so fast and those stores really were quite successful financially. And so you could really afford to pay extra to get uh, the back of the house. The good thing then was with the servers that they're making tips. And so you normally had a pretty good uh, front of the house crew as well. So at the management level, it seemed like a lot more folks in those days were kind of geared for careers and making money. And I might, might be, I don't know, oversimplifying or maybe even not on the right path, but it just seems like the newer generation, I, I, when I, <laughs> I'm older, obviously I graduated in 1981 and it was kind of the norm in those days to work six days a week, 60 hours. And that's unheard of today. But it is a different ball game out there. And you certainly all owners have to understand that and realize that, you know, sometimes we have employees just, they, they'll walk mid shift or they'll go out and, and they won't come back or they, you know, we'll set up 10 interviews and only one shows up. So it, it is a different ball game out there. And certainly in my day, you know, sourcing folks, you'd run ads or, uh, you know, put notices out there. And obviously today everybody's using the internet and, and kind of, uh, you know, Indeed or some of the uh, the web-based uh, hiring techniques, but it just seems like it's so much more difficult to find the right folks. And uh, normally, you know, uh, you know, years ago you're getting great. You know, when when 07, 08, 09, when the when the economy is pretty bad, you're getting a lot of talent. And right now it's tricky. And so I would uh, really uh, recommend everybody to. And it's hard sometimes because we're on a lot. You know, it's a stressful business. It's very fast paced. I think that you need to treat every employee like they're your partner and appreciate what they do and all the hard work. And then you have to compensate them well. And, but it was interesting. I remember in my days as children, we did some surveys and pay was the fourth most important thing. And really what, what they wanted, and I think even more so today, they want recognition, but they want the appreciation and they want the ability to grow. So when, when you see folks coming in, try to take them under your wing and, and to try to counsel them and try to mentor them and try to treat them well and to teach them and make them feel like they're valued. And, and you'll find that those are the ones that will stick with you and kind of grow and to help you grow your business because all of us want to open that second or third or fourth store. Well, to do that, I call you have to have a bench. You need some good people on, us, on the, your uh, sidelines that can kind of step up. And my uh, top franchisee, his name's Percy he has developed a great bench and he's getting ready to open his fourth location. And he goes, Nick, I, I have enough people. I could do two more. And I said, well, how do you do it? And he just really treats them well. 
and he 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 t- he'll take them out for dinner. He has meetings. He discusses things with them. He treats them well. He gets them tickets to games, and he gives them opportunity to grow. And it is sometimes you got to go through some folks, but when you find that diamond in the rough, the person who's willing to work hard and commit, you have to give back too. And he does uh, profit sharing, which I think is great. And I do that as well for my stores. You want to want to treat them well, take care of them, and realize everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses, and nobody's going to be perfect. But you need to find a, and surround yourself with people that they care. Well, and it seems like that goes back to the founder vision yes. kind of conversation is the culture, how you're going to treat your employees. That's all part of the same package. Exactly. And and that's where founders are unique. And and I have to admit, I'm not a founder. You know, with, with, when I went out for Little Greek, my partner Sigurd brought it. She was the founder. And that's a it's a totally different skill set. And I remember Sigurd was like, Well, I you know, I want to be a VP. I go, Sigurd, you're the founder. And in any company, there's only one founder. There might be 10 or 20 or 30 VPs, but the founders are unique folks. And, and normally founders, it's interesting because you know the founder to be successful, they, they have to always be right. But as you grow your company, you're going to have to realize that you're not always right. And that's kind of what Larry touched on a little bit today is as you grow, you know, so there's a thing called the founder's trap where they're not willing to change anything because that's what kind of got them to where they are. But sometimes to grow, you need to change some of your procedures and processes and culture to be successful. And, and some founders won't let go and some founders won't change. And that's what Larry was saying earlier, Larry Reinstein, was that there are some, some founders that they get two, three, four, and then they crash and burn. And so that's kind of goes back to your culture pieces. It's sometimes hard to define culture, but every company, even the biggest company, even universities have cultures. It's the personality. And the personality comes from the top. How do you treat yourself? How do you treat your people? How do you treat your customers? Your employees will pick up on that. And you could say, oh, we're all about, you know, caring about our people. But if you don't care about your people, you can put it on paper, you know, our value, we care about our people. But if you don't do it, then it's not going to happen. So that's kind of one of those things as you grow, what are you all about? And then realize you're not going to be good at everything. And so uh, one of my other mistakes, I, I, I like to do my top mistakes is obviously I'm a very kind of high energy outgoing sales guy. And so when I was uh, running before Brady's, all my first executives I hired were all guys like me. And oh, wow, and gals. And we had a great time, but we never got anything done because we were chit-chatting, joking around the whole time. So realize as you build your teams, you got to bring in different personalities, different strengths. You might not necessarily click as well with them, but each one has a role. So for instance, in my company, Little Greek, my first hire was Jen Bujalski. Well, Jen is extremely detailed, extremely hardworking, very focused. She didn't have a lot of experience in restaurant business, but she has a very smart gal. And she was perfect for me because I'm not super organized and I'm not super detailed. And so she is, and she, we know, seven years, we've opened now, what, uh, 36 restaurants, and she's been a key player. Uh, Brian St. George, my, the VP, he is much more disciplined, much more um, holds people accountable. I'm, I'm, I'm the nice guy. Oh, that's okay. You can do that. You know, Brian say, Nick, we have 40 restaurants. We can't have 40 different people doing things differently. So it's hard as a founder and owner and leader sometimes to bring those people in, but you have to realize those are going to be a key piece of the puzzle. And if you don't do it, ultimately it can lead to your failure as well. Again, and that's where, you know, I've made every mistake in the book. And so that's where I'd like to try on these kind of things is try to share my mistakes so that you don't make the same mistake <laughs> I made. Because sometimes it's, it can be pretty humbling. Sometimes you can lose your career because of those things. Sometimes you, your company can founder. And so those are all the things that, uh, 
that I like to try to share because, you know, in life, a lot of times you're just doing things and you're trying to learn as you go. And certainly when you're trying to build a company, you know, when I, we did Beef O'Brady's, I'd never grown a, a franchise company up to 250 restaurants. So once you get there, then you look back and you go, well, I made that mistake. That was a mistake. And, you know, those are the things that you kind of learn the hard way. And so uh, it, the main thing would be is to be open and realize you're not going to be good at everything. And if you can accept that and realize what you are, your strengths is to provide great food, great service and a great atmosphere and, and clean. And, you know, those are kind of the basics. And that's where you can kind of grow from there. And, and it's, it is wonderful when you grow a company because you create these wonderful opportunities for your people and your customers and then also your vendors as well. What are some of those most common mistakes that you see that you are like, I know I've been through this? Oh, wow. Um, there, I, I guess there's a, there's a spectrum of all of them. And I guess the, the funniest one I like to say is that um, I remember when I – I went to Cornell for hotel restaurant management and, you know, um, I sat down for my first review and the GM goes, Nick, you're too defensive. No, I'm not. You know, so I, I think <laughs> the most common mistake I think is not realizing what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I, we give these self evals and they put, you know, there's 15 different categories ranging from, you know, financial strengths to ability to get things done to people skills or whatever. And they're like, excellent, excellent, excellent. You know, nobody is good at everything. And it's hard because when you're young, it's hard to understand what you are good at and what you're not good at. So sometimes there's these disc profiles and uh, the Briggs, Myers-Briggs, is like, mm-hmm. it, you know, I think those are helpful, but you have to take it to heart. Yeah. You can't just sit there and say, ah, that's a bunch of crap. I don't know, whatever. You know, so I think the most common mistake is people make is they think they're going to be good at everything and they're not, you know, that there's no weaknesses and you really need to embrace where you're not strong and then like figure out ways to, to fill the gaps. For instance, I'm not a detail guy. So when I was running my chilies, I would always hire somebody like Jen and she would run the office or he would run the office and they would make sure to keep things organized, do all the book. Cause that wasn't me. I'm, I'm a floor guy. Well, maybe you're a great detail person. So you're in the back. You like to do that, but you're not a good floor guy. So you need to handle, hire a gal or, or, or a guy to be the front, front personality. So it's hard to do that. And sometimes you have to make the mistakes and have, sometimes you have to pay the price before you learn. Ah, you know, this is the type of people I need to bring on board with me to round out my team because that's going to be, I, I think, the make or break to be successful in life. And really, you know, your partner in life and your kids, those are all things that are, uh, you have to kind of, you should be able to take a critical look at and what, what works and what doesn't work for you. And so I guess that would be, I think, the most common mistake, certainly for younger folks, is to try to, to get a feel for what they're all about and to embrace and even Larry touched on that, you know, play to your strengths. If you're really good at something, focus and put yourself where those things will play. And where you're not good, try to fill, have people fill those gaps. Like, for instance, with Little Greek, I'm not a detailed person. So I immediately, I outsource my accounting. I outsource the purchasing. I brought Jen in to do the day-to-day. We'd have a meeting and she'd take notes. And at the end of the meeting, she'd type up who's going to do what. Though That is a key part of my success is finding those folks and then bringing them on board. Try not to put myself... Brian St. George, I mean, he worked for me at Beef, so I knew his skill set. I said, I need I need somebody who can kind of hold the line and make sure everybody's kind of marching in the same tune because that's not my strength. So uh, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but hopefully folks can understand and just look at your relationships with your friends and family and kind of what works and what doesn't work. Start from there and kind of see where, where are the things you really enjoy because people will gravitate towards things they like to do and within any job. I remember I had like 
I had this CFO who was a people person and didn't want to really get all the the detailed financials. And I go, that, you know, that's what you have to do. That's part of your job. So maybe you should be more of a strategic person or something like that. So it is interesting. And here I am, 59 years old, still making new mistakes. So that's part of the, part of the beauty of life. And, you know, listening to Larry and I'm sort of like, wow, I never thought of that. You know, so that's kind of fun. And yeah, that's part of who I am is I do have like a thirst for knowledge. I want to learn and grow and constantly looking for new things as well. Well, that was one of the questions we had. Oh, which wow. Is, I'm going to get ahead of myself. You have, yeah. No, you, yeah. have, you have your MBA. Yeah. And how has that changed your approach? Interesting. Or affected well, your approach to the one, one of the things I like to talk about um, is when I was uh, just graduating from Cornell, I, I think it's extremely important for everybody to kind of write down your goals. And I found, you know, because what happened was I remember the story they told me was people would be lost and they literally, you hear the, the phrase, you end up going in circles. Literally, that's what happens. You're out in the woods. And if you don't set goals, you know, further, okay, I'm going to go towards that mountain over there. They end up going in a circle. And so what, what I found was one of the, my goals was to get my master's degree. And when we sold beef for Brady's, we, I had a one-year severance package. So I had a window to go. And I said, well, I've also wanted my master's. And the University of South Florida has an executive MBA. So it's 21 months, but it's like three days a month. So I could still look for my new concept and new opportunity, but at the same time, try to grow. One of my personal beliefs is I feel that I always want to keep growing and I always want to keep learning. So here I was, it's kind of funny. I was what, 50, 50-ish right around the time I went to school. And, you know, your listeners won't really get this, but, you know, when I was in my career, I usually had assistants. And so as the computers were getting more on board, I would have people do PowerPoints. I would have people do Excel sheets. So I get to college and I'm going to my 11-year-old daughter going, uh, Lord, can you help me put together a PowerPoint presentation? And, and, and would you mind uh, kind of showing me how to do this Excel sheet? So one of my philosophies is you always need to keep growing and learning. And so that's what that was all about. And it was a great experience and great uh, made great friends. And ultimately, I've been very um, fortunate to become quite involved with the university. And one of my other philosophies in life is to give back. So I mentor every semester. I'm mentoring several students, but I'm also involved in the executive advisory board for the MUMA College of Business at USF. And they just have been wonderful partners for me. And it's just been a great learning experience. And so it was kind of humbling as you go back when you're 50 some years old and you're doing statistics again, and you're not very good at Excel spreadsheets and your 11-year-old daughter's kind of showing you what to do, but it was a good learning experience. I really enjoyed it. And um, as far as, you know, like specific things I could say that kind of what, how I changed my career, I can't really put my finger on it, but it, but it does kind of, as you grow and you learn and mature and you appreciate things, I guess for me, my focus has always been restaurants since I graduated from Cornell and I love the restaurant industry. The people are so wonderful and the leaders like Don Fox from Firehouse Subs, just great folks. And they're always willing to help out. And that's what Larry mentioned earlier. You go to the restaurant show and you're bumping into to friends and people you've bumped, you know, you come across. When you go back to college, now I'm surrounded with folks who are doctors, power, you know, uh, power company executives. And so it's kind of interesting for me to get a feel for other businesses as well, because I've always kind of been good or bad, kind of narrowly focused on the restaurant industry and all of my, you know, I go to the restaurant leadership conference, the national restaurant show, muffs of things like that, all restaurant focus. And so it's interesting to hear issues and opportunities and you know, concerns of folks who work for Morgan Stanley or work for big banks and stuff like that. So I, I did find that interesting. To, but and the other, I, and I tell students, when you go to college, you really, for me, it shows that you can get up Manage yourself, get classes done, go to class, be on time, get the class done, and get it accomplished. 
you know, I, I learned more in a four-month training program at Chili's than I lit, did at Cornell University over four years. But it, but I showed that by going to Cornell that I had the discipline to get that done. Um, when you go, it, you know, the university, I said one-third of it is kind of what you learn. And one-third of it is kind of the relationships of the the uh, students. And, the, the, you know, you'll see in, war, in life, don't burn bridges because you never know when you got to go back over them. And then the other third for me was, you know, getting involved with the university. Certainly because of the fact that I live in Tampa, stayed in Tampa. The university has been a great uh, partner and friend. And I've made a lot of friends through that. I, I got involved in some of the advisory boards. So you get to meet a lot of other executives and things like that. So it's really been a great experience. So certainly, you know, college is not for everybody. Uh, you know, our chairman at Beefo Brady's was high school education. And, you know, a lot of uh, restaurant folks, you know, uh, they you don't have to have a degree to be successful. But I think, you know, my philosophy of always trying to learn and grow and to expand your horizons, you know, certainly going to Cornell, you know, Larry was there. I, I think it was a great experience. And going back to University of South Florida to get my master's was a great experience. My wife is now, uh, she's, you know, 56 and she's going to school for American Sign Language. She volunteers at school for the deaf. And it's kind of funny to see her. I mean, she's like the valedictorian, but wasn't a great student when she was younger, but she goes and tells the professors, you know, uh, you marked that wrong. And actually I was right. You're wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. So, uh, you know, I guess my, my core thing is always kind of keep your antennas up. You can always grow. You can always learn. Everybody has something. That's one of my philosophies in life too, is that every person, everybody's equal and you can learn something from every person out there. I've, I've had wonderful stories from my you know, dishwashers I've worked with to the CEOs. And so I think that's an important part of life is that everybody has something to offer. Everybody has, you know, maybe I tend to be a little bit rose-colored glasses, you know, you know, but I think everybody has something to offer. And, and our jobs are trying to find what you can do to help those folks grow and become successful. Okay. So, Nick, we're at the 2019 National Restaurant Association show. What are you hoping to get from walking the floor besides running into old Okay, pals? okay. So this year I did bring uh, three of my team members up to the show because they've never been. And uh, I told them, be prepared, wear very comfortable shoes, and be prepared to be overwhelmed. And it is overwhelming up there. I mean, it just, it's, uh, for those of you not been, I mean, uh, I think it's like 70,000 people. It's the equivalent of maybe walking five shopping malls. I mean, Virtually every uh, aspect of the business is there. So the first thing I always like to see is kind of what are the trends. And I, I, I bumped into Brett Thorne from uh, Nation's Restaurant News, and we talked a little bit about one thing I saw. There's a lot of the vegan-based meats, so like the Impossible Meats, those kind of guys, a lot of those, uh, a lot of um, sustainable straws and things like that. And then a lot of very, the beverage thing is just exploding. So these crazy flavor beverages. and all, So you normally I come in and, and a lot of restaurant executives may come every three years because it doesn't change dramatically year to year, but um, over a couple of years, you can see trends. So that was one thing I did notice is that um, there are some big trends on kind of that segment. I talked to Nancy Cruz a little bit. She does feel ironically, and Brett was teasing her, oh, well, Nick's in Mediterranean, but she felt the whole Mediterranean Greek is a big part. Uh, Brett thought there's some African cuisines. I think the American uh, population is getting more and more sophisticated, so they're looking for more and more unique and different kind of foods and drinks. So that, I think that's kind of an interesting element as well. Uh, Larry touched on earlier, the whole technology piece is obviously 
becoming a big, you know, a bigger and bigger part of what we do. So it's interesting to see kind of where that's all going and who the, who the players are. But I will tell you, it can be overwhelming. There's so many folks and you only have a limited amount of time. So you kind of have to pick your battles of who you want to do a deeper dive on. So, uh, I've kind of just have only done maybe one third of one haul. So I, I, maybe I'll share a little more later when I get back in to kind of do it, but it, it's a wonderful show and I certainly encourage all restaurant tours. At some point, you need to kind of, you know, come and check it out. Well, thank you so much oh, for so your sweet, time. you're so sweet, Helen. Thank you. Yeah, and Helen's ice-cold bunker here at the basement of the uh, McCormick <laughs> Center. You know, it's like probably, what, 50 degrees in here? It's real cold. <laughs> it's keeping us alert. That's right. That's what keeps us on our toes. Well, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, Helen. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Nick Voinovich from The Little Greek. Do you want more conversations with fast, casual industry leaders? Head to iTunes or Spotify to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Like what we've done? Please rate and review Fast Casual Insider wherever you listen. We really appreciate it. This episode was produced by Dante32. 